I often find myself telling people that adoption is not this one-time thing that happens when you're little, but instead, adoption is a lifelong journey. I've met a lot of adoptees, like myself, who are perpetually curious about everything that has to do with adoption. And I've met adoptees who are only interested in learning about their family medical history. And some adoptees skirt through life knowing they're adopted, but never giving it much thought. Until one day, when some stranger says just the right words to you that jolt you into a vortex of curiosity that challenges the very notion of who you are. Okay, that last thing I said might be a little overdramatic, but it kind of represents my guest in today's episode. From my first conscious thought, I remember thinking, why am I here? That was probably my very first conscious thought. I was probably four or five. Like, I knew inherently that I didn't fit somehow. That's Nancy Winslow a white woman in her mid-50s, adopted as an infant by white parents. Nancy is a successful businesswoman, full of passion, energy, ambition, and color. For our interview today, she's wearing soft purple lipstick with light pink streaks through her blonde hair. I met Nancy about a year ago in Seattle. Knowing that I was adopted, she introduced herself by saying, my name is Nancy, And I'm not one of those adoptees that thinks much about adoption. It just didn't really impact me. I'm probably one of the most well-adjusted adoptees you've ever met. My response was, well, what was it that you needed to adjust to? Little did I know, my quick retort to Nancy festered in her mind for days. And according to Nancy, it led her to think deeply about her childhood, her adoptee identity, and searching for her birth family. It's funny because even when I first met you, you know, we will, it will go down in infamy, my first line to you, which was, I'm the most well-adjusted adopted person you'll ever meet. (laughs) I remember this. I think we were... I was in my office. Yep. We we're just going to say hi and bye because I think I was in the middle of something. And it was yeah. just like, so you came in and you're like, hey, I'm Nancy. Yeah. And was it the second sentence out of your mouth? Oh, I'm sure of it. Because, you know, I could only say this now. I wouldn't have been able to say it to you then. But um, as an adopted person, I think I'm always selling myself. Um, I think I inherently come into it, like sort of winning you over a little bit and making Uh, you comfortable with me. So I, I genuinely felt like that about myself. Like, okay, so I was adopted. I figured that out. I achieved through it. Um, And I felt like it wasn't really that impactful on me. I always knew I was adopted. Always. I don't, you know, people will say, when did your parents tell you? I never had that moment where my parents sat me down and told me I was adopted. I always knew. And I don't know how I always knew, but I did. Right. Sure. I was adopted by white parents and I was white. And so, you know, it wasn't the first thing people said to me, although people always commented that I did not look like my siblings and I did not look like my parents. Um, but I knew inherently very young that 
I wasn't in the place that I was supposed to be or that I felt comfortable. And so I was, I started early, like wanting to make sure people liked me and they chose me and that I was good enough and that I was a good girl. And somehow I knew that I needed to do that. Wow. So, and I want to go back a little bit just to like, what was my reaction when you said that? Yeah. What was your reaction? I think I said something like, what did you need to adjust to? Mm, Probably. See, you're very good at that. You've always challenged me to think about it differently because I think that I have subscribed to all of the things people say, like, you're so lucky. You're so lucky you were adopted and you're so lucky that your parents wanted you and aren't you so grateful? And I feel those feelings too. I dearly, dearly loved my parents. Both of my parents have passed away. Um, I loved my parents. They were so good to me, but I was trained to feel, I think, a certain way about it. And so I did. And I was going to just kill it like everything else. I was going to be the best adoptee ever. Um, (laughs) You were the best. Like knowing you in adulthood, I know a little bit about you, but that you're top of your company, tech company, um, that, you know, you always look put together. Is this similar to like the teenage version of you? Oh, for sure. Like I from my first conscious thought, I remember thinking, why am I here? That was probably my very first conscious thought. I was probably four or five. Like I knew inherently that I didn't fit somehow. Um, and so achievement was sort of everything. I was relatively smart. My parents picked up on that early. And so I was expected to get the best grades. I was expected to be the best at everything. And so I was, and that just carried with me, but I never, you know, until you and I started having just great conversations about sort of what that trauma is and how I've dealt with it. um, I thought that was just who I was. And I'm seeing that a lot of who I am is because of how my life started out. And what do you mean when you talk about the trauma? Like we've talked probably about the inherent trauma that is being separated from your first parent, your mother. Yeah, because if you think about that, we know that children hear their voices and know who they are before they come, you know, into the into the world. And so I... I must have known her, right? I knew who she was. And suddenly my experience is that my birth mother was very young. She was 15. Um, she never received any medical care because she, when asked, she said she knew what to do because her mother had been pregnant very recently. So I, I have, she has a sister within six months of my age one way or the other. Interesting. And so she sort of yeah. knew what to do because she was watching her mother, but wow. never had been to the doctor. Um, and so when they figured it out, 
they sent her away to where her dad was going to school. He was working on his PhD. And she legitimately, I have her school transcripts, and that's kind of part of another fun story, but she missed school for like three weeks. She had a kidney infection is what it says on her transcript. She may be infected. And um, then she just went right back into her life. And I was left at a hospital completely unannounced, right? So I wasn't in any system. Nobody was expecting me. I wasn't already in, you know, the queue or anything. So I was a perfectly healthy, beautiful child, eight pounds, six ounces. And um, I, so I went into foster care wow. and how, you know, sort of all of these systems could catch up with me. So I have darling notes from my childhood, um, from the nurses that took care of me because I was, you know, perfectly healthy. Um, and then I went into foster care for a number of weeks and was ultimately adopted as an infant. I was probably between six or eight weeks old. It was sometime in yeah. either March or early April that I was adopted. So, And so that story, just the story of knowing that the nurse's took great care of you, took notes, knowing that you were totally unexpected. Uh, were those big details to you growing up? Or was it, like you said previously, that when people said to you, you're so lucky for being adopted, you just believed it. So were any of the conversations ever about I was also in foster care for a little bit and my birth mother wasn't planning to have me and, or was it really just like, let's, let's move forward? No, I don't think I knew any of those details as a child. Um, I think I came to know those details as I got very curious um, and had a child of my own. Okay. So that's when that became important? Way more important. I didn't have the socialization, neither did you, of growing up and being like my mom or like my dad or like my sister. In fact, you know, it was pointed out most often that I was not like them, you know, whether it was... In what ways? You know, I was very studious. I was very inquisitive. I was very outgoing. Um, I had two really great parents who would not have been outgoing in any way. So I was sort of this precocious girl who talked too much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that much has changed. Um, but they were not like that. And I made them uncomfortable and you could see it. You know, my dad said to me probably a million times in my life that little girls are supposed to be seen and not heard. And I clearly did not listen. As a black woman raised in a white family, when I tell my story, it's often from the lens of having that very clear visual difference from my family. But hearing from Nancy is a great reminder that adoptees whose parents have the same skin color as them can feel noticeably different from their adoptive parents, almost to the point of feeling like an outsider in their own family. Back in the 1950s and 60s, social workers were intent on matching like with like. Blonde-haired, blue-eyed children were sent to live with blonde-haired, blue-eyed adults. The belief was that life would be easier for a child if they were placed with a family that looked like them, 
No questions asked because nothing looked out of the ordinary. Stories like Nancy's fly in the face of those old misguided best practices. My parents, while they were very open with us about being adopted, did not want anyone else to know because even, you know, I'm, I'm older, you know, so I was born in the late sixties and it was just not something you talked about. And so we didn't tell anybody. And in fact, I think on one occasion I did tell someone and my mom sat me down and was like, why do you feel like you need to tell someone that you're adopted? And I was like, I, I don't know Wow. I, because I am, but to her, it was sort of something that you didn't talk about. We were on, you and I were on a call with some adoptees recently. And one of them said, I'm so curious about having a child of my own because for the first time ever, I will have a biological relationship. And, you know, that had obviously occurred to me but I don't think I understood really the impact of it until I had a child. So my oldest son, Timothy, um, I had him when I was relatively young. I was 21 years old. And Timothy and I are so much alike. We physically look alike. He has a big smile. Um, We think alike. And it was odd from the very beginning because I have not ever had a biological relationship. I hadn't had any at all until that time. But you know, what became most striking about having Timothy is Timothy was probably four years old. And for whatever reason, we were reading a story, we were talking, and I told him I was adopted. And I, I had not ever thought about even telling him or how to tell him. I had not given it any thought. It came up in conversation or whatever we were doing. And my child was inconsolable. Like, I mean, four years old. So upset. I mean, I couldn't even keep him from crying. And then I felt like, gosh, maybe I maybe this was not the right time to tell him. Maybe he's not old enough to understand. And then I was thinking about how young I must have been when I was, when I was understanding those same things. And, you know, as we talked through it, it was really, it was inconceivable to him that I could give him away, you know, in trying to explain to a child. I see. So he was hearing maybe at four years old, hearing you talk about being adopted, which means that your birth mother gave you away in that language for a four-year-old to think that that could even be possible was probably so scary. Right. And then, and then when I explained to him, you know, that I didn't know her, it, it was not helpful. It was even more upsetting. And, and, you know, so he was in a way trying to console me, like if she would have known you, like, I'm sure she would have loved you. And, you know, it was so many things and I was just, it, it brought it to light in such a different way to me that I, I had never thought and processed it even that way for myself. Yeah. It's fascinating because you, you clearly would not want to say something to hurt your four-year-old but you had really thought up until that point that adoption was nothing, nothing within talking about adoption would upset someone else. And so when your son reacted like that, it 
made you pause? Well, and it made me think about it differently, right? It made me think about, we think it's so normal and a gift and lucky and a blessing. But when you think about it at its core, it is exactly what my son thought it was. Really kind of sad that, you know, these mothers don't have their children and these children don't have their mothers. And isn't that what it is? And he really brought it home to me in such a different way and gave me such a different perspective. And I would say the same for you. You have really challenged me to think about that adoption is a lot of things. It's not just a gift and a blessing. And it can be and certainly was for me. Um, but it has also really played into who I am in so many more ways than I would have been able to say when I walked into your office. So how do you make the connection between your really like achievement minded, success oriented behaviors to adoption? How do you how do you thread that together? What do you see there? Well, I think for me, and you know, certainly we all process a little bit differently. I um, I think I did start out very early, understanding that I was in a place that I didn't necessarily belong, and I maybe not belong, but maybe fit, and that I was constantly sort of working towards either being that or something that was achievement enough oriented that I was still chosen. Um, I do think that I start out by selling myself early with every relationship I've ever had. And I think that I do my best at everything because I think that somehow people feel like surprised by adopted people being successful. successful. Sure. And, you know, I often when I tell someone that I am, and I'm trying to be much more transparent about that as an adult than I was able to be as a child. It's certainly not a secret in my life and I share it with a lot of people. It is a big part of who I am. But I think that it did make me really overachieve and I still to this day do that. And I overcompensate and I'm really trying to learn how to be you know, find out who I would be absent this experience. Oh, wow. Who you would be if you weren't adopted. Mm-hmm. That is an experience, experiment that I don't know how you would do. <laughs> That's yeah. a fascinating experiment, though. Yeah. Who would I, you know, would I be more comfortable in my own skin sometimes? Would I, would I pause? Would I not be quite so gregarious? You know, what I maybe not kind of constantly feel like I needed to be enough um, because I do think a lot of that, just as I've looked at my own experience, uh, you know, I think I started that very, very early and with those conscious or unconscious thoughts kind of coming together in what shaped me. Do you feel proud when people respond with... Um when people respond and they can't believe that you're adopted and successful? Embarrassingly, I do. I do feel proud. 
And is it a pride of like bucking the trend of like changing the narrative of saying like all of you guys think that adoption means you are blemished and I don't know whatever else yeah. you might think that society thinks about adoptees, but is it, is it, is it that? It is. I, I mean, I, I am, I'm sort of pausing when I say that cause I feel kind of embarrassed, but um, because obviously you can be adopted and be anything you can be amazing. But somehow I think in our, even subconscious, we think of it as a negative. Somehow we weren't chosen in something that we didn't even know we could not be chosen in. I mean, how, how does that even come to light? And yet it is right. So in the success piece, you're running after trying to, to actually feel truly chosen or something. And it's like, will you ever achieve, you know, like, do you feel like you've topped out? You've made it. You are the successful, you're the example of a successful adoptee and I can relax now. That is just, that's so big. That's just so big. I don't know if I'll ever get there. And, and like I said, I think it's because I don't even know what there is. Right. Will there be enough if my birth mother accepts me? Um, will there be enough if I have successful children? You know, my, my son is, it is amazing to see a biological child of mine. He is so much like me sometimes that it just, it's breathtaking. And then I look at him and think about, well, maybe I am exactly who I am with adoption or without it. I ended up meeting a biological brother because I did ancestry with my son. You know, we had never known what our ancestry was. And one year for Christmas, we kind of gave um, ancestry.com kits to everyone. And so, you know, we learned that I was Irish, although those things change over time. And now I'm less Irish and more, you know, European, or I don't know what I am today, but I'm, you know, I'm basically Irish. You can tell by my skin tone. Um, It was probably almost a year later when Um, Someone reached out to me on Ancestry because you have, you know, your profile. And um, he said, I don't recognize your name. And I'm, so my son was on there and so was I. So he came up as related to both of us. I came up as his close relative. And so I had done some research through a private investigator and had gone through a confidential intermediary more than 20 years ago. And my birth mother did not want to have any contact with me. In fact, so much so she didn't want to share, you know, really even medical information. And um, so, but I got a redacted file when that happened, which is just like what you see on TV, you know, the black marks all through it. But there was enough information there that I had been able to find who she was. Um, I had reached out once just by email privately and she again was just like, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I, I put you up for adoption for a reason. I hope you've had a good life. That was my intention. I was like, 
well, that should have been expected. Like I rolled with it in the same way because that's sort of what we are trained to do. Yes. Sort of roll with it. So I mean, like I managed that just beautifully. I was like, yeah, she doesn't want anything to do with me. She doesn't know how great I am. Wow. Yes. That is probably not how I genuinely felt. There's the well-adjusted piece. Yes. Basically. Yeah. I must be able to deal with this because this kind of keeps happening sort of thing. I don't know. I just really, really rolled with it. I hired a private investigator. I figured out who she was. It didn't take me any time at all. And then I think I felt like, well, now I know who she is. Um, It doesn't matter if she wants to reach out to me or not. But it's funny, Angela, in my email, I still have an email I wrote to her on my 50th birthday. And I look at it. It's saved in my drafts. Um, I never sent it. But again, if you read it, you would hear my voice of like, I am enough. I'm educated. I'm a good mom. I have a beautiful son. You listed kind of your resume to your birth mom to say. Here I am selling myself again, like to my own birth mother. So I had some context of who she was. She went on to have um, four more children. Well, one of these four children did ancestry and he did it because of World Cup soccer. He wanted to see which team to cheer for with his kids. So I think one of the children and him both did ancestry. And then here came this close relative. So I, again, felt like I had the upper hand a little bit. And I was just going to wait and see sort of how interested he was. So when I recognized his name, when he reached out to me, and I just would answer his questions honestly. He's like, I don't know who you are. And I'm like, well, I'm adopted. I don't have a family history. Oh, you're adopted. So I sort of just answered him, you know, not matter of factly and without any like extra information that he didn't ask for. Why, why did you do that? I think I, well, uh, probably self-protection if I'm being, you know, more, um, aware or more self-aware today, but I think I was also doing it because I didn't want to overwhelm him. I wanted to just sort of, like some people are genuinely not interested. So he followed up and kind of disappeared for a few days, did some research on what close relative meant in DNA terms and came back. And his first response to me was, could you be a twin? And I said, well, I was put up for adoption. I guess anything's possible. Well, keep in mind that his grandmother was pregnant at the same time. Right. That you're, right. That's interesting because your birth mother was about 15. Her mom was still mm-hmm. childbearing age around 30. So they, okay. Yeah. So he immediately was thinking maybe they were twins. This is the same time frame. Um, and so he explored that and he and finally came back and said, if you're not my if you're not my aunt, you're my sister. And I said, how do you feel about that? And you know what? 
he operates a lot like I do. And, you know, he's, he feels very strongly that I'm his sister and has been very respectful of that from the very beginning. Uh, we spoke on the phone not long after that, and he wanted to come and see me. He wanted to understand who I was. Um, we ultimately met, um, I was going somewhere for work and went to the city where he lives and we met for dinner. And I, I think I said this to you at the time, I was ready for him to see all of his relatives in me. I was ready for me to seem familiar to him. Yes. I was not ready for him to seem familiar to me. Wow. So he would stand, when he stood up, he stood up just like my child. He had the same body shape as my son. He looked like me. Wow. And I, I know that seems... Um, maybe naive, but I, w I was ready for him to see me and be like, oh my gosh, you're just like, but when I saw him, I saw me and I saw overwhelming. Yeah. It really that's overwhelming. I think that's a common experience with, um, search and reconnections is the assumptions that we walk into things with rarely match. I remember when I was finding my birth family and I had put so much energy and thought into my birth mother meeting her. I had thought it through from every single angle. Yet I hadn't done a lot of thinking about my birth father. And so when I met him, it was, it was ab absolutely overwhelming and shocking for the reasons that I had prepared around my birth mother. Like we looked the same and there were all these mannerisms that were the same, but I just hadn't prepared for it. I just hadn't thought about it. And so it just knocked me off my feet. Same. I remember having a conversation with you about it afterwards and just being like, how, how could I not have known that he was also going to be like me? And he is the kindest man. Um, he is closer in age to my child than he is to me. I am definitely the older sister and which is probably why he reminds me also so much of my son in a lot of his mannerisms and how he thinks they are all incredibly smart, accomplished. Um, and so again, maybe I come full circle with, maybe I am just like I would have been. I'm just in a different goldfish bowl. Um, so I ended up going on and doing 23andMe, and I did it again and said, well, I met somebody from my mom's side of the family with <laughs> ancestry. I'll probably meet somebody on my dad's side of the family, and it happened. It was just the craziest thing. Um, the first person that came up was an uncle. I sent him a note, and I'm like, I think your brother might be my dad. And I'm thinking, I don't even know if he has a brother, but I felt totally confident writing that. And I am not joking. My um, birth father called me like the next day. He is the most lovely man I probably have ever met. He is kind and generous and in immediately just 
you're my daughter. Like none of the questioning that you hear about, like, oh, I don't know. And did you have to give your resume to him? Did you say, I've done done that, I've done this, please like me? Or was it just acceptance? (laughs) You know what? I don't know if I know how to not do that. Ah. (laughs) He was just easy, just immediately. He was just kind. And, you know, his brother, who is the the uncle that I connected with, he and I are so much alike. Like we have the same sense of humor and we we text all the time. And outgoing. We, he's just yes, he's funny. And yeah. you know, I met them and they did the cutest thing. Like they legit had like a family tree, like how everybody's connected. They all had a name tags and how they were related to me, including the dogs. I mean, it was just amazing, but I saw them and they're like, Oh, she has our dimples. Oh, she has our eyes. (laughs) Like I was, I was just like them. One reason I resonate so much with Nancy's story is that we both had wanted so badly to connect with our birth mothers, but it was actually meeting our birth father's family that provided an unexpected and enthusiastic response. Hearing Nancy tell her story takes me right back to my own. I'll never forget the joy my birth father had when he met me because he had no idea about me and he always thought that he was infertile and couldn't have kids. He had just a short relationship with my birth mother and hadn't seen her for so many years and then suddenly I popped into his life. And as I sat in his mother's tiny apartment, his family members just kept piling in wanting to meet me and accept me into their family. And in seeing them, I saw myself for the first time in my life. The same skin tone, the same facial features. It was surreal. And there were just so many things. Like, my son and my brother and my dad all had on, like, almost the same shirt. Was like, how does that even happen? They all had, like, these big, loud Hawaiian print shirts and... So uh, as we were, you know, we had spent some time together and I'm like, okay, everybody get around. And there were probably 20 of us. And I'm like, let's do a speed round, like favorite snack before you get on an airplane. And everyone's like peanut M&Ms. And I'm like, me too. Favorite donut when you go into the donut shop and they're like apple fritters. And I'm like, me too. I mean, we just did this speed round, you know, favorite potato chip. And who does that? Like, it was just... It was amazing and shows you that, you know, there are our people, they are still our people, whether we got to spend all of our lives with them or just another chapter. I've said this too many times. I feel like my life is this book of the first part of my life was my, with my adoptive parents and my adoptive siblings. And it was lovely. And then I moved into being married and I had a biological child of my own, which was just an amazing part two of my life. And that taught me so many amazing things. And then I'm sort of in this part three of my book where I know some of my siblings and I know who my, you know, birth parents are and my adoptive parents have passed away. And I feel like I'm just learning 
who I am in such a different way. And it's, you feel more relaxed. Yeah. Really? I think I finally do. And I think that maybe that comes from knowing. Wow. I'm, I genuinely did not know what you were going to say. And I, but I think you're still going a hundred miles an hour and, and super productive and all of that, but it's like, there's a difference. It, it seems you can Mm -hmm. still be super achievement oriented and running and gunning, but with a piece about yourself as well. And it was just, it just seems like that may have done it for you. Well, you know, you, you challenge me a lot in how I think, and I think that we underestimate the knowing, you know, we, we rationalize it in a lot of ways around how grateful we are for, for what we do have and did have. I, I mean, I tell any person who will listen that I have led a charmed life. I have received a leg up at times where it was life-changing. You know, I didn't stay in foster care. I was adopted by a beautiful family. I have had so many places where I was a very young mother, and yet I still finished my schooling. Like, I have had so many places where I've had such a leg up. And yet I have also lived with the trauma of adoption and figuring out who I am in that. You know, you and I had a lovely conversation one day about even how we've learned to love is different. Hmm. Because yes, my parents love me, but I think they learned to love me and I learned to love them. Where when you're a biological child, you enter into a place of fitting that feels different and love is different in that place. Did you feel and that it, with your son? It oh, I, I do for sure. I mean, I, and I cannot tell you how much I love my sister. Like my sister is a game changer in my life. I love her so much. And I love, I dearly love my parents. We have such a capacity for love, but it's different. I think as a child, when you are trying to understand what all of that means and you don't fit in and socialize sort of the same way as a biological child. And I had a biological child in my home. They, my parents had one child before they adopted three more so I do think that there that we learn and we cope and we adjust and you know like I said I mean I I will be the best adoptee ever and yet you know the knowing is a thing right knowing where I came from and knowing that those people love me too like I love my brother that I have gotten to know and I love my uncle and you know I have a grandmother who is alive she is 94 I talked to her on the phone and I'm just like her she's this crazy lady who's so independent and she lives by herself her husband's passed away and she's happy every day she eats ice cream for dinner like she is my person <laughs> And there is just something about that that is, that makes my life better. You talked about your life being like kind of three, three parts, 
chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. Is there something about your adoptive parents being gone, having passed away, that allows room to explore this, like in this clearly defined chapter? I think without a doubt, you know, without a doubt. And you know, I'm probably like a lot of adoptees, my parents adopted late um, in later in life. You know, my, my younger sister and my mom were 49 years apart and she adopted her as an infant. And so, you know, we just had kind of a different generation of parents. But I would say that that's a fair statement. It has definitely given me room to have kind of a different set of parents or, I mean, you can't believe how many siblings I have now. I now have like four brothers and like, I have all kinds of siblings. Yeah, it's just interesting because I, I think my parents would be so sad to miss this in my life, that mm. they're alive and I just think they are so, I know that they are so glad that they are alive to meet my birth mom, my birth dad before he passed, my birth siblings. But I know that's not the case for every adoptee and their parents. I think that would have been hard for my parents, genuinely. I think um, I my mom would have supported me for sure. Um, and you know, genuinely my dad too. My dad's just been gone a lot longer than my mom has. Um, but I think it would have been hard for them and therefore hard for you yeah you know how would you succeed in both yeah talk about a dance (laughs) right that that would have been a hard achievement because you know you know that about me i want to be the best mom i want to be the best employee i want to be the best sister like seriously i want to be the best aunt i mean if there is anywhere that i i can be i want to be the best um, so that probably would have been deeply challenging for for me. Yeah, I wonder if you would have put it in kind of like a denial box, like say things like, you know, I don't need to meet my birth parents right now or my birth siblings. I don't need to do this right now because I've got so much going on. I'm doing great. My parents are great. Instead of saying or facing the facts, the truth that it, might be too much for me to balance both of these relationships. It might be too much for my parents. But I think I've noticed in your life and many people's lives, just the way that we reframe the story so that it fits our needs and Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't throw anyone off at the same time, that it still makes sense to most everyone. Well, you know, the rejection, the initial rejection of my biological mom came in my 30s and it you know that was probably more prompted by my son and his reaction and so I think the rejection you know if you put it in that same context was probably like well that's easier right I don't have to figure out a relationship with my birth mother my adoptive mother is still alive and, and she was great, right? I mean, I had a lovely mom who, sincerely, I talked to her every single day of her life um, and loved it. So, you know, in a way, maybe that that was another way that it was okay. Here's something I have not shared with you um, because it just happened. 
So Trevor called me last week a couple times. And just to remind you, Trevor is Nancy's brother on her birth mother's side. And he's the only person she has met on her birth mother's side. So he called me and I missed his call and I called him back and we missed each other, but we don't usually talk on the phone. So I, we finally connected. He called me just late, late last week in the afternoon. And he said, um, I told my sister about you. Just to be clear, Trevor's sister would also be Nancy's sister. And this has been sort of an interesting thing because she's the only girl. And from the beginning, he said to me, whoa, I just am not sure how she's gonna feel about this. And I said, you, you told your sister? And he goes, yeah, you know, we drove, to, we drove down, it's the pandemic, my parents weren't there. Um, and so I told her about you. And so this had been like over the 4th of July. And he said, um, she has thought of nothing else. And I'm calling to ask you if she can reach out to you. She has thought of nothing else. Like she just has been thinking about you, wondering who you are and all of this. And so I'm like, well, Trevor, you know, you have my permission to, you know, give her my information, anything that you want to do. I mean, you're welcome to. So he shared, you know, my email and, and my phone number. I've not heard from her. Wow. Um, yeah. But it's fascinating how it's just, it's a fascinating time of my life, Angela. I tell you this all the time. I have led a very charmed life and I, I know that people think when we're adopted that maybe somehow we're going to achieve less. And I know that you and I in so many ways are both maybe sometimes proud and sometimes um, just achieving as fast as we can. And yet I know that this can also be a hugely traumatic incident that happened in our life that has shaped us in other ways other than just being a blessing. And that's okay too. It doesn't mean anybody did a bad job. It doesn't mean that my adoptive parents loved me less. I'm not less. I'm definitely different. And, and it's okay. I think that you know, we're kind of so busy trying to make it all right. And that maybe the not all right parts are okay too. There's no fix. There's no yeah. quick and easy fix. And that has got to be okay. Yeah. And that's the work. Yeah. You know, the fact that we can be really, really, really blessed and have had great childhoods and we missed out on something else. Both of those, we can hold both of those things and both of those things can be honored. And it doesn't take, one doesn't take away from another. You know, I, Timothy and I were talking one day about loving, loving other siblings and loving other people. And, you know, we were always very close and he was struggling a little bit with, you know, would I love somebody else more? And I, I said to him, Timothy, you can love as many people as there are on the planet. It's love is not like that. It doesn't, we don't take out a one love basket and put into another love basket. 
we can love. We can love our birth parents. We can love our adoptive parents. We can love our new siblings. We can love our, uh, our adopted siblings. But I think sometimes we feel like we're going to take out of one basket and put it in the other when it's just, it can be both. Nature versus nurture. Do genes influence people more than the environment and the way we were raised? Or is it the other way around? Adoptees turn out to be the perfect subjects when discussing this age-old riddle. When Nancy met her birth family for the first time, she started throwing out random questions about what they liked. What's your favorite donut? Apple fritter, they all said. Favorite chips? Yellow Lay's potato chips. So what do we call this? It certainly doesn't seem to fit into the nature versus nurture binary. So what is the science behind this? I wanna thank Nancy again for talking with me and for being so open and vulnerable with her story. And while it's so great to hear about her budding relationships with birth family members, I wonder when or if her other sister will reach out to her. I sure hope it's the former. If you liked this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review, rate it, and share it with your friends and family. Once again, I'm Angela Tucker. You can follow me on Instagram at Angie Adoptee, Twitter or Facebook at The Adopted Life, or check out my website at AngelaTucker.com. This episode was edited by my husband, Brian Tucker. The music is courtesy of Marmoset and Artlist. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you next week on The Adoptee Next Door.